Thank you for uh, coming again tonight. Thank you for the beautiful music. And we invite you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you're just joining us, um, we have been night by night in a study of uh, the words, individual words, which are each a characteristic of who Jesus is, what love is. Uh, we saw in verse 4 um, two qualities of what it is. Um, he is long-suffering. He is kind. And then we've been on the last several nights in exploration um, in verse 4 and now into verse 5 about some of the things that he's not. And in each of, each of those cases, he is uh, specifically addressing the Corinthians on some things and some ways that they've been acting. So I'll begin again in verse 4. Uh, we'll land in verse 5 tonight on the second the second characteristic that's mentioned in verse 5 of what love is not. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely. And then tonight, does not seek its own. Tonight, does not seek its own. Uh, thank you, Jesus, tonight that uh, you indeed have never sought yourself. You have never once um, done anything that was best for you. It was always about the Father, and it was about us. And so tonight, um, thank you for your graciousness. And uh, we open our hearts tonight to, for you to do the same in us. That uh, somehow, Jesus, in the miracle of only what you can do, we who are born into this world as self-centered could have the miracle tonight of uh, you continuing your sanctifying work in us, that we would be the expression of who you are in a world that desperately needs it tonight. We love you tonight, and uh, we need you. In your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, your translation, uh, not sure how it uh, translates this particular, the second characteristic in verse 5. Uh, this is the New King James, does not seek its own. NIV is an interesting translation, calls it, love is not self-seeking. And all of those, I suppose, come to kind of the crux of the idea of what Paul is getting at here. That certainly um, the nature of sin, uh, the nature of sin according to the scripture, is all about uh, self-centeredness. Uh, from the time we're born into this world, the proof of that was in the delivery room. Um, when we cried bitter tears in the delivery room, somehow I don't think I was crying out of compassion for my mom. I just don't think that was the case. From the time we're born, it is self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is the very characteristic of sin. Self-centeredness, it's all about me. John Wesley said that sin is man turned in upon himself. Self-centeredness. And I don't know about you, but it seems uh, in our day, it seems that there's a desperate need for us to get back to an understanding of what sin is. And that, as we've said before on other nights, there has never, ever been a greater need for the message of holiness than there is in our day. And if we can just come back to the understanding from the scripture again, that the problem is not the surface issues that we often kind of address. And it seems like we're always going after the surface cures and the surface issues. And we, I especially, seem to be masters of the surface address. But if we could let God take us down to the root, the core of the problem, that the problem in all of our lives, the problem of humanity, the problem of civilization, the problem ever since Adam and Eve, the problem of every people of all times is only one problem, and that's ourselves. Self-centeredness is the problem. 
And uh, I just want to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm open to uh, talk with you sometime outside of service about the issues that we face in our day, especially here in the United States and all of that. But I just, I just kind of want to testify ahead of time in that if you want to talk to me about the issues of the day, I just want you to know ahead of time, what I want to do is bring the conversation right back to the heart because the heart of the issue is the human heart. <laughs> and that's where our need is. And we need his sanctifying the work that only Jesus Christ can do in our hearts and lives. Our problem is self-centeredness. So why would that be in the middle of this list? I, I began to ask as you've been going, or already we're, we're on the seventh characteristic of love uh, here in verses 4 and 5. And here in about the middle of it all, in this seventh characteristic of what love is not, actually, in this case, Paul throws in this characteristic that love is not self-seeking. And I begin to ask, why would he put that here in the middle of the list? Because if you ask me, everything he said so far that love is not is self-centered. It's like self-centeredness is not just like one thing among the list. Self-centeredness would be the overarching theme and attitude in all the things that we talked about that love is not. For instance, if you go back to verse 4, love does not envy. Well, that's self-centered. That's self-seeking. Love does not parade itself. Well, that's self-seeking. That's self-centered. Love is not puffed up. Well, that's self-seeking and self-centered. And then last night we talked about love does not act rudely. It's not, it's not improper. Love is not indecent. Well, that's self-centered as well. So what I began to conclude in the study is that this item that he's placed here in verse 5 about love being self-seeking or not seeking his own is is its own thing. It's yet another one of the aspects of... There's something here specifically that is another aspect of self-centeredness, and it is, it is, again, as we've said every night, it is something that very specifically would have applied to the Corinthians. It's something that would have rang a bell for them. It's, it's something he's already been talking to them about, this, this idea of being self-centered or self-seeking or putting yourself first. And maybe part of the clue to what he means by that is in the actual Greek grammar. We've been looking at the Greek every night. Very interesting. If you look at the Greek translation literally of that phrase in the New King James that says love does not seek its own, the literal translation of that is that love does not seek the things of itself. Does not seek the things of itself. That's... a uh, in the Greek, that, that's very close to what the same exact wording almost is what Jesus said in Matthew 6.34 in the Sermon on the Mount at the end of Matthew 6. And he says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Its own things. That's kind of like the meaning here as well. Love does not seek its own things. Actually, almost identical is the phrase that Paul uses in uh, way back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 7 where he says we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children her own children so literally this idea has to do almost seems to have to do with the idea of of possession or ownership or identity or claim love is not about being possessive love is not about having this claim of things for yourself love is is not about the idea of ownership but I had to scratch my head on that 
Because that almost seems contradictory to God himself even. I found as I studied the scripture that there are times in scripture where you can almost say that God is possessive of us, for example. I look back to the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, he says, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you, this is God speaking about us, I have called you by your name, you are mine. Now, I don't know about you, that sounds pretty possessive tonight. That sounds like ownership. God's saying you are mine. So I'm asking myself, why is it okay for God to, you know, God, why is it okay for you to be possessive but not us? He's possessive. Not to mention the fact that the verse I read in 1 Thessalonians when it's Paul, Paul gives the illustration of just, you know, just like a mother cherishes her own children. Well, God put that into us, you know. God gave moms, that, that's a God-given thing when parents feel this, you know, my wife calls herself the mama bear when somebody messes with her kids, you know. That's a God-given thing. To, hey, my kids, and um, for Father's Day, my wife gave me this little, are you, are you familiar with the willow tree figurines? I love those things. And uh, my wife gave me one for Father's Day. I just love it. It's on my desk. makes me cry. It's this picture of a dad um, sitting on the floor, and his son's just kind of draped around him. And, and the each, each one of those has a title and the title of that one is, That's My Dad. See, God put that into us. So what's this all about where he says love is not possessive? Love is not about having ownership. What's, what does he mean by that? And I wonder if the best way to understand what Paul is saying here, that, that love in Jesus is not, is to realize how this phrase particularly addresses the Corinthians. Remember, all this, you have to, to understand what he's saying in chapter 13, you, you have to understand how he's saying it to them, to them, to the Corinthians. And one thing about the Corinthians, you know, is that they were, so, they were possessive, all right, the Corinthians were possessive, but they were possessive in a very self-centered way. I think possibly, I'm not sure on this, it's just a theory, I'll find out when I get to heaven, it's quite possible that the favorite word in the Corinthian church was mine. Mine, mine, mine. And when you go through the issues that they had in their church, you know, again, this letter is all about the issues one by one. He's addressing all the issues in the church, and he's saying, hey, don't you know Jesus is the answer? Don't you know he wants to sanctify you? And don't you know the problem is your self-centeredness? That's what's the root of every issue in the church at Corinth is self. Mine, mine, mine. So think about the problems that they had. For instance, church division. Church division is the first problem he addresses in the letter. You know what the problem in church division is? Here's the attitude. It's my church. Do we need to talk about that for a minute? This is my church. Every church fight that's ever been in the history of humanity, back to Corinth, 
hey, this is my church. Just walk down through the issues of this letter. Sexual immorality. It's my body, and I can do with it what I want. It's my, does that sound familiar in today's issues? It's my body. Lawsuits, chapter 6, lawsuits. It's my property. It's my money. It's my belongings, church. Lawsuits. The pagan feast, chapter 8 through 10, is they're having this debate about, hey, can you go to the pagan feast? Can you not? And the older Christians were not regarding the newer Christians, and they were saying, I have my rights. I have my rights. Do we need to talk about that? My rights. And at the Lord's Supper in chapter 11, there's all this chaos at the Lord's Supper because I want my place. I want my place at the table. Hey, you're sitting in my seat. And then finally, spiritual gifts in chapter 12. That brings us up to where we are. Spiritual gifts, the whole focus was my gift. My gift. Can I ask you tonight, and by the way, I want to thank you for coming tonight to hear me preach a sermon to myself. But tonight, can I ask you, is there anything in your life or in my life that I might be saying that about tonight, even subtly, even in my heart, even in my subconscious? Is there anything tonight that I am holding on to tightly, anything I'm fighting for? Would you fill in the blank tonight? It's my... I'm fighting, I'm holding on, I'm grasping, I'm holding on to something. Maybe I don't even realize it tonight. Maybe by the grace of God and the kindness of God and the grace and the work of the Holy Spirit tonight, maybe he could expose and reveal something in my mind and heart tonight that I've been hanging on to, I've been holding on to and saying, that's my... So Paul's point in this list is, hey, Corinthians, guess what? That's another thing that Jesus is not. He's not possessive. He's not into my whatever. Not self-centeredly possessive. As a matter of fact, think about Jesus. Just think about him for just like two seconds. Look at the gospel accounts and you see the life of Jesus. Is there one single thing about the life of Jesus that's ever possessive that he ever has for himself? I mean, think about it. Just look at the life of Jesus. He never really had anything in this world. Matthew 8, 20, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying, Father, not my will, but nothing of his own. Perhaps the most powerful statement of Jesus not clinging to or having anything of his own is in Philippians 2.6. I invite your attention there because it's fairly important. Philippians 2.6. Paul is giving this uh, phenomenal passage about all that it cost and all that it involved for Jesus to become one of us in this great plan of redemption. And in Philippians 2.6, Paul says, who this is Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. 
Now, the Greek word there, I'll spare you of that tonight, it, it can mean things like to snatch or to seize or to hang on to. I really like other translations of that, of that in Philippians 2, 6, like, uh, for example, the New Living Translation says, he did not cling to equality with God. He doesn't cling to it. The uh, ESV or NASB translation say, it was not something that was to be grasped. Jesus isn't grabby. <laughs> he didn't grasp anything. He did not cling to. Jesus is never about clinging to, holding on to something. Even things that were perfectly legitimate, Jesus was able to release to the Father and say, hey, even though it's mine, it's not mine. It's yours, Father. Even though it's mine legitimately, think about all the things. If you, if you read down through those verses in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, think about all the things that Jesus, they were his, they were good, they were legitimate, and yet he just kind of said, I release it. They're, they're, not, they're mine, but they're not mine. Think about all the things. What he let go of to become one of us. What he set aside. He set aside his glory. He set aside his God abilities of being all-knowing and all-powerful and everywhere at once so he could become one of us. He gave up his position in heaven. He, he gave up his own physical body on the cross. And anything else you can name, it's like the life of Jesus portrays, demonstrates, exhibits this complete, I'll use the word, release. Never hanging on, never clinging to, never grasping, never hanging on too tightly, how amazing is that? Is that convicting or what? Here's this Jesus that lives in this world and never once hangs on to something for himself. He's always kind of got this, I release it to you, Father. I release it to you, Father. It's mine, but it's not mine. It's yours. How amazing is that? And that's what Paul's saying. This is who he is. This is who he is, church. That's what love is. Love is not about hanging on to and grasping for yourself. It's about release. You know the great words of that, you know the, 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 the second phrase, the second verse of that great hymn of the church, and can it be, maybe in your hymnal it's verse 3, but verse 2 in many hymnals in the Nazarene hymnal it is, and can it be, he left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, he emptied himself, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. That's what Paul is putting before the Corinthians. That is in chapter 13 of Corinthians, what he's putting before them and inviting them to. That's the invitation of holiness. Corinthians, you guys are into mine, mine, mine in everything in your lives. Mine, mine, mine. Jesus wants to come into your life and he wants to sanctify you and do something in you so it's about, it's all yours, God. A release. And that's what he's been touching on this whole letter. That's why so many times as we go through these words in 1 Corinthians 13, it'd be kind of like that ding, 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 yeah, we've heard this before. Because indeed, he's been referring to this whole issue of their self-centeredness and their mine, 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 and seeking your own all throughout this letter. 
As I said earlier, chapter 10, if you go back to chapter 10, we won't take long on this, but if you go back to chapter 10, that issue is that they're, they're all into, I've got my rights, I can go down to the pagan feast. Well, I don't care how it affects anybody else. Well, I don't care about those new Christians and what happens to them. I can do what I want. I'm not breaking any rules. I can do what I want. I have my rights, by the way. After all, it's my rights. My rights. Mine, mine, mine. So Paul says in chapter 10, like verse 23 and 24, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Sound like chapter 13? Let no one seek his own. Ding, ding, ding. Look at verse 29. He's same issue. Verse 29. Conscience, I say, follow conscience. Not your own, but that of the other. It's not about you. By the way, at church, it's not about me, right? Boy, that'll solve a lot of issues. It's not about you. Look down to verse 31, same thing. Or verse uh, 30, uh, 32, verse 33, that, that I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit. Ding, ding, ding. Chapter 6, go back to chapter 6. Chapter 6, he's addressing head on. Chapters 5 and 6, all the sexual, and I told you about last night, this is G-rated audience, but there's all this garbage happening in the church, in, in, the, in the corn, man. Ancient Greece was full, full, full of sexual immorality. It was just, did you know that in the ancient world, sexual immorality in, in other places was, was known as to Corinthianize? That's how bad it was in Corinth. And so all this sexual immorality is now coming to church. Hey, it's no big deal. It's why? Because it's my body. It's my body. I can do with what I want to. My body. So what does he say in chapter 6, verse 19? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Ding, ding, ding. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So what Paul's inviting them to in the whole letter, and now so, so plainly in chapter 13, this great holiness chapter is, hey, Corinthians, you know how we've been talking all along about how Jesus is into this attitude? Well, it is mine, but it's not mine. That's what he wants to be in you. That's what entire sanctification is, that he can, in entire sanctification, he can do that in your heart, man. Hey, my life is not my own, God. Take my will. Take my will. My will is totally for you. God, I want to surrender my life and my heart so that there is never a civil war inside of me. There's never going to be a debate ever in me the rest of my life that Jesus do something in my heart tonight that sanctifies me through and through and gives me that my will is only for you. But then there's a progressive sanctification too. That the rest of my life then, God can progressively over time keep revealing things to me to say, hey John, guess what? Look what you're still hanging on to. Look what you're still clinging to that you didn't even realize. Look what, even though your heart is right with me, look at how your hand is still hanging on to that thing. Whoa, sorry, God, I didn't notice that. And God can keep showing me in my life the things that I am still hanging on to. And this sanctification in Christian life is 
God, I want to keep releasing to you the things that you keep showing me in my life that I'm hanging on to. Maybe I didn't realize it, and maybe they're good things. But God, I'm hanging on to those things and making it mine instead of yours. So tonight, I, I want to pose this invitation to you tonight. Whatever he reveals, whatever he speaks to, whatever he exposes, whatever he points to tonight, would I tonight release to him what is mine? Anything I'm holding on to tonight, anything I'm fighting for, anything in my life, fill in the blank tonight. Jesus, I release Anybody got a release tonight? Got something to release to him tonight? Maybe it wasn't bad, God. Maybe I didn't even realize the full extent of how I was hanging on, how I was clinging to, how I was grasping for that, that thing or that person. But tonight I want to release. There's a lady in Nashville that uh, we, we met years and years ago, and we haven't seen her in a long time. And her husband teaches at uh, the college where, where I'm going uh, to do some adjunct teaching and uh, where my daughter attended. And uh, her name's Beth Fox, and she wrote a song just many years ago. The, the name of the song is I Release. I'm just going to read you some of the lyrics. I release my inhibitions. I release my preconditions. I release myself for what you want to do. I lay down my cares and burdens, all that's fearful and uncertain, I release. I release it to you. I release my gloom and sadness. I release my hate and madness. I release myself for what you want to do. I lay down my pride and passions, all the pain and life's infractions, I release. I release it to you. Anything you need to release tonight? To let Jesus work in? No, I know what you might say to that tonight because that's where I am. Because this is a very, very real uh, truth from my life right now. How do I let go? How do I let go? Because we always hear that. Like, I've been around church, like, you know, I'm old enough now, I've been around the block one time, right, in church. And what I've heard this over the years, just let go. Just let it go. Let it go, let go, let go, and let God. I always hear that, you know. And my response to that always is, yeah, that would be good if I knew how. I just don't know how. But I begin to wonder tonight if back to this phrase in, in, in 13.5, back to this phrase, remember the phrase, love does not seek the things of itself. I wonder if part of the clue of the releasing is in the beginning of that phrase, does not seek. Because the truth of the matter is, I may not know how to release what's going on in my life. There's something, someone, something I'm clinging to, holding on to, maybe good, maybe legitimate, but I've been hanging on to, and I, I need to release, I need to let go, I just don't know. Sometimes I don't even know what it is, but I need to let go and I don't know what. So maybe part of the clue is, 
It's a change, do not seek, is a change of my pursuit. So I believe that the answer of Corinthians and what Paul keeps going after in this letter is, Corinthians, you need to change your pursuit and let him be the pursuit. Instead of seeking the things of yourself, instead of seeking the things that you need to hang on to, seek him. Seek Jesus and let him be the pursuit. Now let me tell you tonight, that's never easy. Right? Don't get the idea tonight. Don't, don't walk away from this camp meeting thinking this is, uh, you know, hey, this is going to be fun. Whoa, this is going to be, you know, just tickle your spine and this is going to make you giggle. Hey, release and surrender is always painful. Crosses are not pleasant things. And dying to yourself is never easy. I mean, look at Philippians 2 again and read that passage carefully and see the cost and the sacrifice of Jesus in releasing all that he is. Go to 2 Corinthians 4 and when Paul talks about we have this treasure in earthen vessels and see the cost involved in being this literal vessel of God and he talks about death. Death is working in us but life in you. You want to see life come out of me? It's going to cost death for me. So it's never easy tonight. But I wonder this tonight. See, I don't know how to release, but I wonder this tonight. Could it be tonight? Think, please, please hang with me. We're almost done. Please get this tonight. Could it be tonight that the release that needs to happen in my life, right now, the release of something or the release of someone is the grasp of him. To grasp him. The release is in the grasping of him. <laughs> The hanging on to, the clinging to him is how you release. And the releasing is how you cling to him. And somehow tonight, Jesus, you're the answer to my release. The clinging to you and the knowing you and the trusting you is the release. Picture tonight, for example, a, uh, I hope you never experience this, hope you never see this, but if you can imagine in your life tonight a drowning person. My son's in the Coast Guard now, so... Maybe dealing with those kind of situations. Picture this drowning person. And a drowning person is desperate to grab onto anything or anybody. It doesn't really matter. A, gra a, a drowning person is desperate to grab onto anything or anyone that they feel can help them. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? You're not very... You're... At that moment, you're not very choosy, right? Right? <laughs> Anything, anybody that can help me, that can make me safe, that can rescue me, that can make me feel better and secure, I'm grabbing onto that and I'm not letting go. Can I ask you tonight, do you ever feel drowning in life? Do you ever, you ever felt drowning in sorrow? You ever been drowning in hurt? You ever drowned in pain? Ever drowned in difficulties in your life? Have you ever, have you ever felt tempted to just grab onto anything or anybody and just hang on that you think could that I think could help me. Can I ask myself, what am I seeking tonight? Who have I been grasping to help me? To make me feel better? I'm going to ask Tab to come and help me close, but think about this. What were they doing that with in the Corinthian church? What were they, what were they trying to grab onto to help them feel better about themselves or to make life see? You know, this, this life, everybody, seems like a stormy sea right now. And by the way, right now it feels like we're in a hurricane. 
And the Corinthians were in the middle of stuff going on in their lives, and they were trying to grab onto anything they could to make them feel better, more comforted, more secure, more safe. So what kind of things were they grabbing onto? My church. If things can just stay the same at my church, that'll, I'll feel safe. My body, if I could just do what I want with my body, that'll be the answer. My property, if I could just hang on to, remember, see all these conflicts? My property, my rights, if I can just have my rights, hang on tightly to my rights. How about me tonight? My My what? What tonight am I trying to preserve? Maybe it's good, maybe it's legitimate, but tonight how am I trying to make myself feel better and comforted and safe and secure? And tonight, what is it in my life? Honestly, tonight, what is it in my life that I've been clinging to? Tonight, would you release... Would you be willing to release and cling to Jesus? Can I tell you tonight? In our release, this is almost counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense in our human minds. We can never hardly see it. But in my release and the clinging to him, he can do more than we can ask or imagine. <laughs> He can do more in two seconds than I can do in 20 years. He can do more in a minute than I can do in a lifetime. The missionary Jim Elliott, who gave his life, said he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You say, but John, tonight, I don't know if I know how. I hear you tonight. It's clear in my mind and in my heart tonight what or whom I need to release to Jesus. And I need to cling to him instead. But to be honest tonight, I don't know how. I don't know how to cling to Jesus. I feel like the drowning guy that doesn't even have enough strength to hold on. Well, there's good news tonight. He's clinging to you. He's clinging to you. So would you tonight just kind of let him, a release, by your grace, I release and let myself be in your grasp. And would you do more in me and in the situation than I could ask or imagine by your grace tonight? I release. How about you tonight?
I got something I need to release in my life. I'm glad tonight to be in his grasp. Our altar's here. For anybody else, find a place to pray in this uh, tabernacle. But as Tabba leads us, would you join us in, uh, in that surrender tonight? Release.